Bonjour et bienvenue à ce balado présenté par LexisNexis. Parce que le droit est partout, au cœur de nos vies et de nos débats, LexisNexis et ses invités aborderont dans le cadre de cette série des sujets d'actualité qui vous touchent réellement et qui ont une incidence sur votre quotidien. Je suis Isabelle Dion, directrice marketing pour le marché du Québec. Aujourd'hui, nous discutons avec le maître Caroline Bérubé, auteur des versions françaises et anglaises du livre « Guide pratique pour faire des affaires en Chine » publié par LexisNexis. Caroline Bérubé est associée directrice de HJM EGIA, un cabinet d'avocats boutiques ayant des bureaux en Chine et à Singapour. Elle est admise à pratiquer à New York et à Singapour. Elle est titulaire d'un bac en droit civil et commune là de l'Université McGill à Montréal. Elle a également étudié à l'Université nationale de Singapour avec une spécialisation en droit chinois. Caroline se concentre sur les transactions transfrontalières, le droit commercial et les questions de propriété intellectuelle, ainsi que les licences et transferts de technologies, domaines dans lesquels elle a développé une expertise respectée et une compréhension des défis et des avantages de la plupart des juridictions asiatiques. Caroline conseille des clients dans divers secteurs, notamment l'industrie manufacturière, la technologie, le divertissement, le commerce électronique, l'industrie du luxe, l'agriculture, le commerce et les services. Bienvenue Caroline et merci de vous joindre à moi aujourd'hui alors que nous célébrons la Journée internationale de la femme en mars. J'aimerais commencer par vous poser la question suivante. Qui vous a inspiré la profession d'avocat et pourquoi? Merci pour la question. Très intéressant. Euh, en fait, personne ne m'a vraiment inspiré dans l'endroit parce que je connaissais très peu d'avocats et il n'y avait personne dans ma famille qui avait fait ce choix de profession. Euh, les raisons pourquoi j'ai décidé d'aller à l'endroit, c'était en particulier parce que je trouvais que c'était une profession qui allait m'ouvrir plusieurs portes dans différents secteurs d'activité. Donc, ça allait m'offrir la, la possibilité d'options, que ce soit comme avocat en pratique privée, en contentieux, euh, journaliste, professeur, femme d'affaires. Donc, c'était vraiment la raison pourquoi j'ai décidé d'aller euh, en droit. En plus, je trouvais que c'était une profession qui permettait de développer des habiletés intellectuelles, d'analyse. Euh, c'est un, un secteur qui demandait une certaine rigueur, qui sont des caractéristiques que j'admire beaucoup, qui sont selon moi importantes, peu importe la profession qu'on choisit. En effet, c'est vrai. C'est très intéressant. Merci de partager ces informations. Ceci m'amène à vous demander, avez-vous ou avez-vous eu une femme comme mentor? Y a-t-il des femmes en particulier qui vous ont inspiré? Oui, en effet, mon, mon premier mentor a été une femme qui était française, qui était en, déjà à Singapour en 1998, puis qui m'a donné la, ma première euh, opportunité de travailler en pratique privée en Asie. Donc, c'est quelqu'un que je respecte beaucoup, avec qui je suis toujours en contact et que je vois en fait plusieurs fois par année euh, lors de différents événements. Donc, c'est quelqu'un qui est très dynamique, qui travaille très fort, très brillante, euh, puis avec qui j'ai beaucoup de respect. Euh, puis pour les autres personnes qui m'ont inspiré, eh bien ma maman, qui était une femme euh, professionnelle, qui a toujours travaillé, euh, qui était sur des conseils d'administration, qui était passionnée par son travail. Donc, ça a été un excellent modèle pour moi dès mon très jeune âge euh, d'avoir la chance d'être éduquée par elle. Est-ce que vous pensez que vous êtes aussi un mentor pour d'autres femmes dans le secteur juridique? Est-ce que ce serait quelque chose qui serait important pour vous de, ou qu'est-ce que vous aimeriez leur conseiller? 
En fait, c'est très important pour moi d'être un mentor pour plusieurs raisons. Premièrement, parce qu'il y a plusieurs femmes qui laissent la profession d'avocat en pratique privée à un certain moment donné. Donc, un truc que je fais, c'est que j'enseigne à deux universités. On fait à Bocconi, en Italie, puis en, à la Sorbonne, Azas, euh, à la faculté de Singapour. Puis, la plupart des étudiantes, ce sont, la plupart des étudiants, il y a une grande majorité qui sont des étudiantes. Et la raison pourquoi je veux continuer à enseigner, c'est que je me dis que ça leur donne la possibilité de voir un modèle qui est avocat en pratique privée, qui a une carrière internationale, qui enseigne, puis qui a même des enfants. Donc, je trouve qu'en voyant un vrai modèle, de façon pratique, ça peut leur, les encourager que oui, c'est possible, même si parfois, c'est, euh, il y a certains euh, défis. Donc, euh, puis également aussi avec euh, la faculté, de, de, avec l'Université McGill, ils ont toujours besoin de mentors. Donc, euh, je fais aussi un programme de mentorat pour les jeunes femmes, pas nécessairement en droit, mais dans d'autres secteurs d'activité également. Ah, c'est vraiment, c'est vraiment inspirant. Merci de partager, euh, de partager ces informations. Est-ce que, par contre, c'est arrivé que, que vous auriez quelques erreurs, que vous auriez pu commettre en cours de route, mais que, dans le fond, vous avez appris de, de ces circonstances? En fait, on fait, je fais beaucoup d'erreurs et j'en fais encore maintenant. Euh, disons que les erreurs que j'ai faites souvent puis qui m'ont pris un certain temps à apprendre, euh, je fais confiance aux gens relativement rapidement pensant que tout le monde a des bonnes intentions et tout le monde est authentique. Euh, donc, maintenant, ma nouvelle méthode d'approche, c'est que j'attends que la personne me prouve que je, puisse, que je peux lui faire confiance avant de lui accorder ma confiance, autant en affaires qu'auprès des collègues euh, et, et de d'autres relations. Donc, première erreur. Ma deuxième erreur est que souvent, je ne faisais pas confiance à mon intuition. Je me disais, ah non, il y, y a plusieurs aspects euh, sur papier qui me disent le contraire, même si mon intuition me disait « m'envoyer un autre message ». Puis à chaque fois, je me trompais, je me disais « zut, j'aurais dû faire confiance à mon intuition ». Donc maintenant, même si l'intuition est très intangible, je lui fais confiance puis je me dis que euh, je dois vraiment prendre mes décisions en, en faisant confiance à mon intuition. Évidemment, avec l'âge et les expériences, euh, notre intuition nous guide de mieux en mieux, heureusement. Oui, <rire> c'est vrai. Est-ce que, euh, qu'est-ce que vous diriez aux jeunes femmes qui envisagent de devenir avocat aujourd'hui? Je leur dirais quelques conseils. Je leur dirais dès le départ d'avoir un esprit ouvert, parce que souvent on pense qu'on va aller soit en pratique privée, on va aller en contentieux, puis finalement la vie nous se charge de nous donner, euh, de nous envoyer dans différentes directions et de saisir toutes les chances qui sont, qui sont offertes. Donc, si même de ne pas arriver avec des idées préconçues que moi, je vais en droit et je vais seulement faire telle profession, parce qu'en fait, la, on arrive à, souvent avec plein de surprises qui sont de bonnes surprises, qu'il faut saisir les opportunités. Donc, garder l'esprit ouvert, être très persévérant. C'est une profession qui est très euh, intéressante, qu'on apprend constamment, mais c'est un boulot qui nous demande de la persévérance et de la résilience, euh, autant dans la pratique privée que dans les autres secteurs d'activité. Euh, puis euh, de, de s'assurer d'avoir un support, soit de mentor euh, au sein de l'entreprise ou du cabinet dans lequel on travaille, ou bien d'avoir un support à la maison qui nous permet de, de poursuivre des activités dans la, dans la profession juridique. Parce que c'est une profession qui demande du temps, qui demande l'investissement euh, d'énergie également. Euh, et c'est un peu comme un marathon. 
c'est quelque chose à longue échéance. Souvent, les fruits qu'on récolte prennent plusieurs années. Donc, selon moi, ça vaut la peine d'être persévérant et d'être patient. Donc, ce sont des conseils que je donnerais. Euh, et mon dernier conseil serait d'être passionné, euh, parce que si on n'a pas la passion, ça va être un, un travail qui va être, euh, qui va être difficile. Donc, tant qu'on a la passion, on a la, la curiosité d'apprendre, de se découvrir, de rencontrer des gens, de continuer. Mais la journée où est-ce que la passion n'est plus là, euh, ça, ça s'applique dans tous les secteurs d'activité, pas seulement dans la profession juridique, mais d'évaluer d'autres options pour continuer euh, notre parcours. Merci de, de partager euh, tous ces conseils. Et justement, est-ce que c'est la passion qui vous a inspiré l'écriture euh, du guide pratique pour faire des affaires en Chine? Euh, c'est une bonne question. Oui, en effet, je trouvais que… En, en fait, je suis avocate, je suis également entrepreneur. Donc, j'ai eu la chance de, de faire plusieurs entreprises. Et comme je représente des entreprises de, de taille moyenne, souvent les questions revenaient d'une fois à l'autre. Puis, je trouvais que c'était important que les compagnies soient aient du succès en Asie. Euh, donc, je me suis dit qu'en leur donnant des outils de façon pratique à des entrepreneurs. Donc, si vous regardez mon livre, mon livre est très, très pratique et concret. Ça va être facile et intéressant pour les entrepreneurs de lire, même si c'est vendu comme un, un outil juridique. Donc, l'objectif, c'était vraiment de, 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 de s'assurer que les entrepreneurs avaient accès à des, des informations qui pouvaient les aider à croître et euh, sur le marché asiatique. Donc, c'était le rationnel derrière. Est-ce que, est -ce que cette passion pour l'écriture pourrait mener à l'écriture d'un deuxième ouvrage un jour? Oui, absolument. En fait, je regarde pour un autre ouvrage légal, mais aussi pour une nouvelle qui est sur un, un complètement différent de l'aspect légal. Mais je suis, je suis toujours intéressée à travailler, surtout avec Nexus, sur un autre ouvrage légal. Que ce soit sur un autre pays en Asie euh, ou sur quelque chose qui peut être intéressant et utile pour les lecteurs. Merci beaucoup, Caroline, d'avoir accepté de participer à ce balado et nous remercions également les auditeurs. Merci beaucoup pour l'opportunité. Hello and welcome to this podcast presented by LexisNexis. Because the law is everywhere, at the heart of our lives and our discussions, This series brought to you by LexisNexis and guests will cover current issues that impact us daily. I am joined today by Caroline Berube, author of the French and English versions of the book, Doing Business in China, published by LexisNexis Canada. Caroline Berube is the managing partner of HJM Asia Law, a boutique law firm with offices in China and Singapore. She is admitted to practice in New York and Singapore, holds a BCL, Civil Law, and an LLB, Common Law, from McGill University in Montreal, Canada, and studied at the National University of Singapore with a focus on Chinese law in 1998-1999. Caroline focuses on M&A cross-border transactions, commercial law and intellectual property matters, licensing and technology transfers, areas in which she has developed a respected expertise and understanding of the challenges and advantages of most Asian jurisdictions. Caroline advises clients in various industries, including manufacturing, technology, entertainment, e-commerce, luxury industry, agriculture, trading, and services. Welcome, Caroline, and thank you for joining me today as we celebrate International Women's Day this March. Thank you so much, Monica, for inviting me to discuss with you today. 
Thank you. I'd like to start off by asking you a little bit more about why you joined the legal profession. That's a great question. Why did I choose to the legal profession? First, I chose it because I thought like going to law school was going to be a great foundation for whatever I wanted to I was going to do after. So I thought like, you know, if I do law, I could decide to go to business. In fact, I did think I would do an MBA eventually and I would go to the business world. I ended up in the business world, but without an MBA uh, for a different reason, which I'll explain a bit later. But so when I went to law school, I'm like, listen, if I do law school, I'm going to learn critical thinking, how to analyze speed reading, lots of like, you know, way to to draft and right. So I thought like, you know, if I decide to go to law school, I could go business world, I could stay in private practice, I could go in-house, I could go maybe in journalism, I could decide to go in politics. So I thought it was a really good open, it was a good option to open door and it was giving me option. And I always believe in having option. I don't like to be stuck in a situation, so I prefer to have option. And I thought law school was going to be a great option to give me like different choice in my career. So that's the reason I decided to go to law school. So in your current role, do you have a woman leader as a mentor or were there any specific women who inspired you? Um, yeah, I do have a few. I So when I moved to Asia, like um, I studied, as you mentioned earlier, and there was a big financial crisis in 99, you know, like uh, in Asia, it was pretty bad. And but I still decided to stay in Asia to look for a job. And I I went to uh, Alliance Française because they were offering different art piece and an exhibition and French play. So I thought like, oh, I'll go because I was missing a little bit like the French aspect of, of my life in Quebec. So I had to check and try to find out. And it was this woman who was in charge of a law firm in Singapore, uh, French speaking. And I called her and I said, I really would like to have a job and I'm willing to work for a very low salary at first to prove how hardworking and smart I am. And she was kind enough to give me a great opportunity. But what I learned from her was that she really created a great niche for her legal industry in, in Singapore. So she was representing a lot of French clients and she also had a niche, like not only French clients, but also in the luxurious field. Um, so doing a lot of IP um, to protect their brand, etc. I'm still in touch with her. Like this is now like more than 25 years ago. Um, and she's still super driven. She's a mother of two. Um, very, very smart, giving her heart and soul to the legal profession, but also as a as an individual mentoring people that she meets. Um, so she has been a great source of inspiration for me. So I know you are a mentor for other women in the legal industry. What are some of the important things that you advise them about? Um, it's a great question, Monica. Thank you. Um, I believe that, you know, like I always say to these young ladies, um, and I also teach, and one of the reasons I teach, most students in law school are female students. And I just think that as a teacher, if they can see another woman who is teaching, but also in private practice and a mother of three kids, like, you know, it could inspire them to see that it is possible to do all these things, which sometimes seems a bit overwhelming when you start your, your career as a lawyer. Um, so I always tell them that they do need to be passionate. If you're not passionate, it's a very challenging job because it requires a lot of time, energy and dedication, and it's a nonstop job. 
uh, to be realistic. So I always tell them that you do need to be really passionate. You have to to be open mind as well. So sometimes you do think that you're going to end up doing like, for example, in my case, I want to do to do m work. So when I joined a firm, I was I thought like I'm going to do m work in Asia, focus on Chinese law. Well, it took me four or five years to finally get to that role. Because, well, as I mentioned, there was a financial crisis, then there was a tech bubble. So the m industry was very, very slow. Um, and as you all know, if you're in private practice, billable hours are really, really important. So if you're not busy because there's no deal, your billable hours are low. Um, so in my case, for example, like there was uh, the arbitration team was extremely busy. So I went to see the m partner and I said, listen, I really do not want to work. Um, and this, I know like the market is very tight. Um, can I do something else? And then he said, well, arbitration team is busy. They need your help. Are you happy to do it? I'm like, absolutely. So like within a few hours, I changed team, changed desk and moved to the arbitration team. Um, this kept me busy for two years, uh, extremely busy, no weekend, working really hard. And then along the line as well, like one Monday morning, they say, well, for this big ICC arbitration case, we need to go to have someone to go to Thailand. Um, I raised my hand and I said, listen, I'll go. And I ended up staying like months and months. So, you know, like you really have to be open mind. And sometimes it's not always the journey that you expect. But I believe whatever you end up doing is a good learning experience. And it's going to be useful to what you you will eventually do. So for me, like, you know, it was a great opportunity to learn to be based in another country at that time. Uh, So not only Singapore, but Thailand to learn how the culture, how the business culture works there. Um, my billable target was amazingly high. I worked with a, a huge team on arbitration. I never did arbitration after these few big cases, but honestly, still now as an M&A lawyer, I feel like, you know, like whatever I learned was very useful to create bundle, to interview witness, to collect evidence, um, to deal with arbitrator, the process of ICC arbitration. So all these tools make me, I feel, a better M&A lawyer. So never give up, but always remain open mind. Uh, keep your goal of what you really want to do, but, you know, like still like, you know, like um, try to take advantage of, of the opportunities that are offered to you, even if sometimes it's not what you expected. But the passion is also important. So during your long and impressive career, have you made any mistakes along the way? And if so, what did you learn from them? Um, yeah, I, I did a lot of mistakes and I still do many mistakes. Uh, no one is perfect, but I would say like, um, I feel when I, I feel I was very, very naive. I trust people very quickly, colleagues or a partner or, you know, people I was negotiating with on the other side. Um, so I was relying on words because in my world, like words and action match. But I realized, unfortunately, that words and action do not always match. Um, So this made a few like a tough situation because I got personally disappointed. I'm like, oh, how can I have trusted these people? And I should have not trusted them on that deal, etc. So um, this is something that I learned, like, you know, like trust people based on their action, not on their words. Um, especially like, yeah. And then another thing that I learned, trust your gut feeling. Every time that I, my gut feeling was telling me something like, you know, like, and I run a law firm. So I became an entrepreneur and I had like a few startups, which I sold, etc. But um, 
every time that my gut feeling was telling me something and I'm like, you know what, rationally it doesn't make sense. I shouldn't rely on my gut like feeling. It's, you know, like I should rely on what is right in writing, etc. And then like eventually months after I realized like, you know what, my gut feeling was right and I should have followed it. So trusting your gut feeling is really important, even if sometimes it it seems that it doesn't make sense. There's a reason your gut feeling is telling you. And I feel with, as you get older, unfortunately, you start to trust it more and more. And I wish I had trusted it more even when I was younger. So always keep in mind for me, like my mantra most of the morning is like, you know, like trust action, not word, and trust your gut feeling. That's some good advice. That actually leads me to my next question. You mentioned a lot of the students you teach are young women. Do you have any advice for for them or for women in general who are thinking about entering the legal profession? Um, yeah, I I do believe in you know, like in law school. So I teach at Sorbonne, Assas, and I also teach at Bocconi University in Milan. And there's a lot of students who are female, and I do hope that you know like the percentage that we see in law school will continue to grow and will also grow in the partnership level uh, in law firm, because at the moment it's not the case, unfortunately. So I tell them that, listen, um, and it's funny, some, a lady had told me many years ago, she said, Caroline, you cannot have it all at the same time. And I was like, of course I can have it all at the same time. I can have a great career, great family, great health, great everything. And I was like, this is so negative that we cannot have everything at the same time. Um, and eventually, I guess with a bit of wisdom in a few years, I understood that what she meant. And yes, like, you know, sometimes we want it all, especially when you were young, you believe it's possible. And a lot of time, like everything will be coming all together, uh, which is great. But sometimes like, you know, everything will go super well career wise, but you know, because we work so hard, our health is not that great or because our we work so hard, the relationship we want is not as great because we don't have time to spend on the relationship or as a mother, you know, like you work really hard as well. And then you come back and you're a bit impatient. So it's like, oh my God, I was so impatient with my kids. And I should have not said that, or I should have been like, you know, more open about this when they discuss with me. So I believe that, you know, again, if you're passionate about what you do as a career, because the law profession requires like, you know, it's not a nine to four job, that's the reality. And if you're passionate, you think about it all the time because you get excited. You know, for me, I wake up and I'm really excited to check my email and what happened because a lot of our clients are, are um, overseas. So they're either in Europe or North America. So when I woke up Asia time, like, you know, like I get all excited about emails. So it means like more work, but I, I find it exciting. And like, you know, like new project, new industry, um, clients from different parts of the world. So I keep learning. So I, I find it challenging and fun. But it's possible to do this if you're passionate. So I feel like, you know, like if you're passionate, carry on. But the day that you're no longer passionate about what you do, I feel it's good to change as well. You know, like it's just like and it, it's being honest with ourselves that, listen, I don't have the same fire that I used to have. So it's better to leave at this point. Uh, for me, like, you know, I've been a lawyer since 1999 and I still really love what I do. Even if it's demanding, um, I just find like it's a constant learning curve. So it keeps me challenged intellectually and I keep learning. So I suggest to young women, like, you know, like to follow their passions. And and when I say like, you know, stay in private practice, if it if you're passionate about it, if stay uh, or choose like, you know, like IP work or commercial work or litigation or arbitration, find a topic or an industry that will excite you. 
um, and it will thrill you intellectually that you'll want to learn and you want to push yourself. So I think it's important to listen to yourself. And sometimes it also means take a step back and say, like, you know, like, listen, I thought that I love MA work, but I do not love it so much anymore. Or I want to try something else. Um, so I think it's important to um, be passionate, find your passion and also try different things. Like, you know, like as a young lawyer, like, you know, like I think if you work in a big law firm and I was lucky enough to work in a big English firm, I tried different groups and different teams, different industries. So because of this, like I, I had the exposure and the visibility to learn. So I think it's important as a young lawyer to try different things. Um, so to choose something that will really um, make you happy. But yeah, you know, like I have also to be uh, realistic, like combining private practice, personal life, sports does require a lot of, of discipline, perseverance and passion. But I think it's definitely worth the journey. So I actually just want to talk a bit more about your book, Doing Business in China. Uh, I don't know where you find time to write between <laughs> three children and practicing law and teaching. But what inspired you to write your book, Doing Business in China? Thank you for the question, Monica. Like, so I'm an entrepreneur by heart, you know, so and I feel like being trained as a lawyer has been really useful in my entrepreneurship journey. And I feel like, you know, a lot of lawyers, like, you know, when we ask them question, like, you know, like they always come often come back with a lot of long answers. And being an entrepreneur myself, having been brought up in an entrepreneurship mindset, my brother's an entrepreneur is also in Asia. You know, like when you're an entrepreneur, you do have a question and you want to have someone who will answer your question in a very simple way, demystifying the legal language. So that's why I decided to write this book in an unusual format, as you have read the book. Like it's 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 a lot of questions that as a, a lot of entrepreneurs had. And I just thought like, you know, like by writing this book and making it like easy to read, or I think it's easy to read anyway, for entrepreneurs, like, you know, it would be encouraging for them to see what is possible to do in China. Because a lot of time, like, you know, doing business in China is an exciting journey. You want to go to China either to reduce your cost uh, from a business perspective or to tap on a new market. But it's also like a daunting market, you know, like it's far away from Canada, for example. It's another culture. It's another language. The way to do business is quite different. So you kind of lose all the thing that you knew about doing business in North America or Europe. So I thought by writing a book like this, you know, it was allowing entrepreneurs to understand how to do business in China, hopefully encouraging them and demystifying um, how to do business in China, making it simple and for them to understand and see how they can do it in practical ways. So the book is very, very practical, um, practical questions, practical answers, mostly dedicated to entrepreneur and other legal advisor who have clients who want to do to go to Asia. So that's the reason I wrote this book. I just wanted to have more successful companies coming to Asia and China. And for that, I thought to be successful, they need to understand the market. And by writing a book, which is very practical, I thought it would be make it easier for them. So that was the rationale behind it. And your book is very interesting in that you wrote it in both French and English. So what inspired you to do both formats like that? So I would say like I wanted two languages first because I'm, I'm very proud to be a French Canadian. I think um, it has been serving me very well to speak two languages. 
For example, when I moved to China, you know, like I went to see each French speaking consulate, uh, Belgium, Switzerland, France, and of course the Canadian one and say, listen, if you have clients who want to do business in South China, Guangzhou, Shenzhen, which was the Silicon Valley of China then, like, you know, I'm happy to, I can speak French with them and it's going to make it easier for everyone. Um, so I thought there was a good market. And again, we're talking about like, you know, like when I moved to Asia, like this is late 90s. So speaking English, speaking Chinese was not the norm then. So that's why I thought like if I do the the, the book in two languages, it's going to be useful for French speaking countries and also like to English speakers. Yes, I think they're both very helpful to have it in both languages, especially with uh, your French background. Um, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, Caroline, I'd like to thank you for speaking with us and taking the time to speak to our listeners. And we're hoping uh, we hear more from you as we celebrate International Women's Day coming up in March. Thank you so much, Monica. And if anyone has any question, I'll be happy to, you can reach out and Monica will have my details. Thank you.